0: Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 22 of Jumpstart Your Joy. Today, we have an interview with Josh Davis. He is the supervising producer for the investigative unit for NBC News, and he's currently working on the Rawson Report. Josh and I got to speak about his background, coming from a small town in Arizona, how he has gotten to the big time in New York City, and how he keeps all of it in perspective, realizing that he's living the life that he had dreamed of as a little boy. It's a delight to get to talk to him about his French bulldog, Jolene, and talking about how he and his husband keep track of each other, even though they both have really busy schedules. If you would like to go to the show notes, they are on jumpstartyourjoy.com slash josh Davis. And if you feel so inclined to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, I would just love it. Thank you. So now, without further ado, I bring to you the interview with Josh Davis.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Josh.
2: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: So would you tell us about what you loved most as a child or in school? Kind of like what were your early sparks of joy?
2: That's an interesting question. Makes you really think something like that. You know, I, I remember being really excited about school. I remember being excited about projects and interacting with teachers and things. I grew up in such a small town that you knew everybody there. You knew your teachers. You know, outside of school, whatnot, their families, their kids, and stuff. It was always just a, a nice familial setting to to be in school. Oddly enough, I liked school supplies. I remember thinking that those were such a fun thing back then. Just getting, just really wriggling in like a new pen or a notebook or something was such an exciting thing.
1: You know, I have a, I have the same memory. Like, yeah, there was nothing better, especially like stickers, like, wow,
2: or a stamp. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I know. Get crazy. <laughs>
1: totally. So now you're a producer for um, NBC's Rawson Report, and you guys air on the Today Show. Is that right?
2: That's right. So exciting.
1: Would you like to explain a little bit about the journey that led you there?
2: You know, I started in that small town in Arizona, you know, dreaming of the the big city, the bright lights, you might say, Mm -hmm. recognized early on that I was passionate for journalism and and broadcasting. And so fortunately, I went to Arizona State where they have the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism just happened to be, you know, in my neck of the woods and Mm -hmm. got a great education there. And then I started the small markets. I was on air back then as a reporter and a you know, an anchor for a while. I worked in Idaho Falls, was where I started, a very small market. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of got my chops there for a couple of years, and then moved on to New Hampshire to cover the presidential primary of 2008, almost as exciting as this year's <laughs> <laughs> primary season. And then after that, decided to move into producing. I, I left being on camera and, and went behind the scenes, and that was when I moved to New York, and I made it. You know, it was a it was a journey that I always hoped would leave me here and somehow i made it it's kind of odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I, I mean i remember it was exciting when you got into the cronkite school. I remember seeing you share the on-air pieces of you in new hampshire and that was all so very cool. What about the I, what about the journey have you loved the most I, and what was the transition from on-air to behind the scenes like for you?
2: You know, i would say i loved the journey the most. Actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it brought me Just so you know, what was so great about this career, and continues to be so great, is that it's brought me to so many places that I never thought that I'd live. I I never expected to live in Idaho. I never thought I'd even go to to New Hampshire, um, Mm -hmm. let alone live there. And then, of course, you know, the dream was always to get to New York. But you know, look all of us have dreams that sometimes don't work out. So it seemed ambitious, but somehow it it did work out. And so I would say that I love the journey the most, you know, and it's never dull. It's always exciting. It continues to be exciting. That's what makes me get up in the morning, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so having grown up in that small town in Arizona and now living in the big city... How did that experience, maybe coming from a smaller town, shape you? Or do you think that it ties into your ability to be a storyteller, if you will, on television?
2: I would say that it, it you know, it played a great deal, a great role in, in shaping my understanding and my perception of the of the people around me. I mean, I've lived from you know what I would consider the town I grew up in of about a few thousand people to be one of the smaller towns you could grow up in, all the way to you know now living in Manhattan. Say that. Understanding where people come from has has really helped me be a better journalist. That I can relate to someone who grows up in a small town, and then, like I said, you know, you the, all the hustle and bustle of this lifestyle too creates a mm-hmm. different, you know, creates a different person. And I think having that understanding has helped me a lot. But it's also given me the perspective that. All of us are so very much the same. You know, I I don't think that I'm all that different now than I was as that little kid with big dreams and and maybe some limited opportunities back then, just given the the location of where I started. We're all the same. We just have, you know, we have our own goals. We have our own things that make us excited and and joyful. And somehow, if you just, you know, keep working hard, it it can all lead to where sometimes you can accomplish those goals and live out those dreams. It's really cool. And I I think that helps me be better at what I do each day, just having that understanding.
1: That's really deep. I like that a lot, that there's that common, that common place and that common whatever space and understanding that we all have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, does that come in as you're looking at investigative reporting? Like, does that shape what you guys choose to report on?
2: Yeah, I mean, doing what I do now is a little bit different. But I mean, at the sure. heart of any story, there are people and, mm-hmm. you know, and motivations for doing certain things, whether you're someone that's being investigated or you're a victim of some con artist or something, you know, mm-hmm. out there. That I think at the heart of it, these are just human stories that we continue to tell. And mm-hmm. so I do think that that still plays into things, yeah, and, and understanding how people – feel when, when something happens to them that they feel isn't right, whether it's something small or something, you know, we cover everything from, you know, murder cases to, to people who have a contractor who tries to take advantage of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just understanding why people feel the way they do about that. And also, you know, what might motivate someone to do it to someone else um, helps mm-hmm. them to be a, a better, you know, producer.
1: Cause there is that interesting angle even when it's investigative reporting, I would imagine I haven't done a ton of that myself, but that some of it, even though it's not the personality type story, but like that you really are looking at it from that angle. Because as the viewing public, we love to know the motivation, right? Like we love a good a, a good whodunit or a sure. or whatever the pieces are behind the scenes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and at the I mean, at the end of the day, it's, we do things that people care about. We we work on stories that people. Mm-hmm. Um, are concerned with then they they want to protect their families, they want to protect themselves. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the motivation for doing it, I think, is, is to help people and to, you know, get answers for people who can't get them themselves.
1: I like that. And what if someone's listening and they're not really sure what a TV producer does, would you yeah. like to explain <laughs> what it yeah. is you do behind
2: the scenes? <laughs> I wear a lot of different hats, let's put it that way. But, um, <laughs> you know, a TV producer does everything from, Researching stories, finding good stories to to look into, to then finding the the right voices for those stories to, to communicate each side of the story. Then you, you do everything from the logistics of planning how we're gonna cover it, who's gonna, who are gonna be the camera people and the audio people, where you're going to go to shoot it, um, booking plane tickets, and then you get there and you have to coordinate sometimes large scale shoots with multiple cameras and lighting and stuff. You have to get all of that, and then you, of course, work with the correspondent to decide what questions are going to be asked, and how best to cover the story. Then, of course, you take everything and you bring it back to New York, and you write it, and you work with an editor to put the visuals together, and then you uh, you put it on TV. That's a very short story. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of adventure along the way. <laughs> of course,
1: yeah, yeah. That's but like I've done it, the web production side and producer role in that capacity, even for some Olympics, but. Yeah, it is amazing. Like all the pieces, especially when you're talking about a shoot, all the pieces that go into that.
2: And then no matter how much planning you do, it always goes haywire at the last. That's right? <laughs> <laughs> part of being a producer. You got to think on your feet. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. You totally do. And it's really about the attitude too. If you can roll with it and make it fun, or at least not overwhelming, I think that's the mark of a good producer.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree.
1: If you were talking about, like, maybe I don't know if there's a story you can talk about in the pad um, maybe one of your favorites that you produced what 's the timeline on li- on that kind of a thing if it 's a big one, how long does it take you guys to get it to air?
2: they're holding your favorite child or something there's each one is is special to you for a reason because mm-hmm. you just put so much hard work into it but um I mean, our stories can take anything from you know working on them for a day to put them on for the next morning to then working on them for weeks on things. I used to be a producer for a show called What Would you Do on a b c and those right. are those are very large scale shoots. It's a, like a hidden camera ethical dilemma show um, uh-huh. hosted by John Quinones. and um, I worked on that show for a, a number of years. And those are very large shoots with a lot of cameras and actors and playing out awkward situations and, like I said, ethical dilemmas and then finding out how pe- real people react. Those types of shoots, and I continue to do hidden camera, you know, investigations. Now those take a, take a while to put together because there are so many components and. Um, figuring out where you're going to put cameras and how to capture the the action and those can take weeks to put together
1: that's so cool on um, what would you do was there like i don't know maybe a favorite like kind of a surprise moment that came out that you got that you like to tell stories about or one that was just i don't know moving in a way that you were i don't know delighted and inspired um, by it
2: yeah um there were a lot gosh we covered a lot of uh topics on that show, some heavy things, some very heavy things. And then um, my favorites, though, honestly, were always the, the more fun ones to see how people react. I think I did one that was called like, the Lemonade Swindlers, and it was these two kids with a, a lemonade stand that they had set up. The idea was that every day people are passing by these two young actors. They don't know them to be actors, and it looks like a little kid's lemonade stand, and they're offering the sign of the lemonade is a dollar a glass. And mm-hmm. of course, you go up there and you're like, absolutely, I'd love to buy a, a, a glass of lemonade from you. Mm-hmm. And the kids start handing you. Would you like a straw with that? Would you like a cookie? Would you? There's a napkin for you. And the person's like, yeah, this is so sweet. This is so sweet. And after they get everything and they're holding it all, and they're taking a bite of the cookie. The kids are like, okay, so let's see that's $2 for a napkin, $5 for the cookie, they turn into these swindlers. And the CPC's reactions are are priceless because you don't know how to react in that moment of like, (laughs) do I confront this nine-year-old or do I, you know, just pay up? (laughs) Because they're clearly, (laughs) you know, they've switched the rules on me. Those were always my favorite. I know that's maybe not the answer you wanted to hear, but those were always my (laughs) favorite to to produce. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's classic. Well, because you really wouldn't expect that some kid's about to try and, you know, Windle, <laughs> yeah. Awesome.
2: Capturing that yeah, and capturing that moment of surprise on camera is just so fun. And people are always such good sports about those types of scenarios. So those were those are my favorite ones to to produce where awesome. so people at the end could have a good laugh and at the same time you kind of felt like what you could still picture yourself in that situation and wonder what you would actually you know, how you would react. Totally. Yeah.
1: And I'll see if I can dig that episode
2: up just as an example <laughs> for the show notes. Probably summer, <laughs> be like I bet, yeah.
1: And now you guys are investigating a lot of like breaking news and it sounds like sometimes there's also ethical questions involved, but from the headlines. Um, I know you can't really talk about anything you're working on right now, but what is it like being on a team that is so tied to topics that are timely and immediate and need to be, you know, they really will air in the very near future. Is that, is that a different kind of can of worms for you?
2: It's very different. Yeah. At NBC now, um, working with ross and reports it's these are the stories that affect all of us a lot of times we do you know cover things that are breaking for example we i believe last year there was a, a train derailment uh, just outside mm-hmm. new york city and you know several people were killed this train was derailed um after it, it hit a car that was on the tracks for various reasons it was a commuter train and it was a a terrible story and our angle to it was, you know, how do you get off of the, if your train derails like that, how do you get off of a train um, in Mm -hmm. that situation? Because it suddenly happens to you and you wonder what should you do? How do you stay safe? How do you protect yourself from maybe being in that situation in the first place? But then if it does happen to you and how do you prevent a a train derailment, but you know, how Mm -hmm. do you get off um, and, and walking people through. So we actually went and teamed up with a train company in Pennsylvania commuter rail system there and, and showed people, you know, we all sit in these things every day. We've done things like how to escape a plane. Um, if you, some sort of a crash landing situation that it skids off the runway or something that so often happens, you know, how do you actually get out of the chute? What does that look like? Or who opened the door? How do you jump down the slide mm-hmm. correctly? Those are really some of the safety stories that we do now that are so important to our viewers because it's we're able to do things because we, we come with the TV camera. We're able to do things that the everyday viewer isn't able to experience, but we can show them exactly what that's like. And that's a, you know, it's powerful. The, and, and it's important all at the same time it's great
1: right yeah because that really does speak into like maybe fears fears that we don't even know we we really had but like if I knew how better to be prepared for like yes the <laughs> plane crash yeah. god forbid but like yeah. yeah I think there's some what I feel safer I feel better about it if
2: uh yeah. it I makes mean, I have a little more mental
1: it. preparation yeah. yeah
2: yeah you're better prepared you know I mean and it. I think there's power in that and in that information, you know, that uh, you, you should be well informed on so many things. But as far as safety goes, we should all know those things if we can. And it's great to be able to, to showcase that for people and to find the best experts to give the best advice. That's, you know, an awesome thing.
1: It is. And is that kind of the heart of investigative reporting?
2: You yeah, know, that's a branch of what we do. You know, we also, but we, you know, pursue people if, if there's been a, a wrongdoing. You know, if a consumer comes to us and says that they've been wronged by someone, we can go out there and and check it out and try to get, you know, some answers for them that they're not getting. You know, we've gone undercover, cover contractors who we set up hidden cameras and we, we set up a simple problem with something, you know, whether it's your water heater or your garage door or your, your air conditioning unit, and we set up a simple problem and we hire contractors who don't know that the hidden cameras are rolling to see if they correctly diagnose what should be a simple and commonly known problem in their industry, or whether they try to up the price and take advantage of the consumer. And, um, mm-hmm. and in, the, in the process of that, showing people, you know, these are the questions you should ask, these are the things you should do, because these are common problems, and it's easy to come into contact with someone who might charge you more than, than what's fair for that repair. That's another aspect of what we do it. We again can wear a lot of different hats in this um in this unit that I work for It's very exciting.
1: yeah, that sounds super cool
2: and uh I don't know. We're
1: probably also a lot of like in that it's fun I mean, I know from even just being a project manager or producer in the past, it's so fun to keep jumping to different things like that's satisfying on a personal level Do you find that to be true as well.
2: Absolutely. It keeps it so interesting. And that was what, what drew me to this career in the first place was that it's not the same two days in a row. (laughs) And that's, that's what makes it really cool. And then you, you spend a significant amount of time working on a, on a story and, and covering it. And then you, you put it on TV and it's out to the next one and you learn about that really nice. It's, for me, it's it's not for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. but for me, I really, I really enjoy that and it motivates me each day.
1: That's exciting. Yeah, I totally relate to that. It also seems that Jeff Rosen does a lot on social media. I know on his Facebook page, I've spied you a few times. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes. I'm um, there. <laughs>
1: yeah, you are. And it seems to me, as an outsider again, but like it's a little bit maybe new or unusual to include producers kind of on screen with them and maybe it's because it's social media but Is that fun for you? Do you enjoy it? And is it
2: unusual? Maybe We do use our producers in the stories and I put myself in them when it's necessary to kind of show the show the, if you will, the behind the scenes or how, how we're able to do what we do. It's just our philosophy that that's part of the process of telling the story and it brings the viewer into the story in a way that a lot of people don't do. Um, I think we do it really well. We're able to do the things that the viewer can't and so seeing us experience that and, and, and show how we're able to to get the information that we do. And whether it's me up in a parasailing to show you know, the risks of parasailing if the operator is not following you know proper guidelines or something, I've, I've done that <laughs> um, with, <laughs> yeah. with cameras rolling and stuff. You know that we're we're in things quite a bit, and um, I, I I enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy it.
1: Cool, because it, it is. It, I don't know. Is it because reality TV became so popular? But I think everybody wants to know more about their favorite. TV personality or people that are on screen. So it's really neat to see. I watched one of the clips on Facebook where Jeff is walking down the street. You guys were talking about a resume
2: scam or something. Um, It was neat
1: to see the behind the scenes piece. So here's Jeff just walking down the street. (laughs) Like that's kind of fun.
2: Yeah, no question that reality T V has changed that because people before, you know, when I was growing up and watching broadcast television, you wouldn't see things like that. You would never see how things were done behind the scenes because T V mm-hmm. was supposed to be this, well, here's the finished product and doesn't it look gorgeous and the lights are beautiful and the you know, the scenery behind you is stunning and stuff. And I think that reality no question changed that. You know, people have an expectation of seeing that as, as part of the, the process and Um, I think, you know, in some ways it's, it's more honest in some ways. I think you get to see how it's done and and who's doing it. I think there's, that's nice to know for a lot of people, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's so, it's funny. So I think it's episode three, but with Matt Wood, who's the voice of General Grievous, he mentioned as a five or six year old, really like looking at some of the books with his mom and his mom saying, look, there's George Lucas, you know, he's, he works behind the scenes. And then that opened up this whole world of like, oh my gosh, there's stuff that goes on behind, like just what you're saying. Like, there's more to the, the what the production than just what we, what we used to see on the screen. So I think, I don't know, that just reminded me of his comment of like that's really what made him want to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it is fun to see how stuff is done,
2: especially. Isn't it? You know. It's fun to peek behind the curtain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it totally
1: is. Yeah, it really is. What do you think would surprise people about TV production? Like, is there something about it that you get a lot of questions on or something that you were like, I would never guess that we do X, Y, Z?
2: Sometimes I think people think that we work so hard that sometimes it would be hard to enjoy it. But there's something the pace of this because it never stops. TV's always on, but today's show is on every single day. you know mm-hmm. that I to me, the a lot of people always ask, me, do you guys have fun doing what you do? And I think that you know if, if you do see us on Facebook, you see that we do enjoy what we do tremendously. We get to see a lot of things that are such a privilege to be a part of. And I, I traveled so much in this job. I've been all over the country, I've been all over the world in this job. Sometimes the stories are very hard to cover. There's no question about that. But it's such a privilege to get to be there for the things that are considered news. You know, it's not just for me, it's not just watching it on TV. It's actually being there as it's happening. It's a really cool thing.
1: I'm just soaking that in. Yeah, it seems mm-hmm. like even though the, the way that we've covered or the way news gets covered is slightly different now, there is still something about being in the the midst of it, I'm sure, that is so exciting and so I mean, it retains whatever that allure is for a reporter.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's not changed at all, even in my local days. That's the excitement that that really is always there, is, is the is the, one, the unknown of when the story is going to happen, what the story is going to be, where you're going to have to go to do it. But then once it, once it does being there and trying to cover it the best that you can to, to communicate exactly what's happening to the people watching who can't be there, it's an mm-hmm. awesome responsibility, but it's also incredibly exciting. And at least for me, it was the reason that I wanted to get into the business in the first place and so to then live that just makes you feel like you did something right <laughs> you know? like this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I thought it was and it is and I feel it every time you know when I'm working on a project mm,
1: that's the good stuff right there <laughs> I love it <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. well
1: it, and not that what like I, whether it's news or it's you know I don't know whatever it is for that person like it's so awesome to be if you call that in the zone or like it's just in that space where you know you're on you know following your purpose so I'm so glad you you found it and like but also to have the what self reflectiveness to like re, be aware right. that like yeah. hey I'm in that mo- oh here's the moment <laughs> like this is it
2: yeah well I yeah. think that's one of the I to me that's one of the most important things you know about you were talking earlier about you know how I grew up in a small town and stuff. It's like I dreamed of this, so I never want to forget when I was dreaming about this. So it's like I'm I'm living it each day, and I make it a I make it a point every day not to take any of it for granted, and to just you know be really present in that. There was a there was a little kid who was in a really small town who had dreams that seemed impossible and yet now you're flying around the world to cover something and you did it and you need to appreciate that you need to respect it and and to just remember that if you work hard you can do it but then once you get there not to forget how important it was to you to to really try and to remember the journey i guess if you will yes
1: yeah. thank you that's <sighs> <laughs> I just have to soak <laughs> that one in too Jeez, like that's awesome know.
2: Jeez, where did that come Yeah, from? <laughs> there you go
1: josh Uh, I don't know. I knew you had it in yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and what would you say if there's someone that's listening and says, you know, when I was a a youngster, I dreamed of X, Y, Z, like, what kind of advice would you give them as if they're saying like, gosh, I wish I could do it. I lost track. But that reminded me that I love doing this thing
2: yeah i mean that's <laughs> I, it's not hard to remember back to to being that little kid and to having those dreams but I would say you know yes, that nothing is impossible it's, it, you know my mom and I always laugh talking about it, but sometimes i'm I'm standing in the shoes that I used to dream about in in many ways, and you know that back then where i where I came from, you know being in such a remote place seemingly so far away from the industry that I wanted to be a part of that nothing's I guess the point is nothing's impossible you can come from anywhere be anybody and you can you can do what it is you want to do it takes a lot of hard work it takes a lot of raising your hand it takes a lot of saying yes all the time mm-hmm. um and so it's in some ways making sacrifices um to be there but um but you can do it if you want to do it, and if you work hard enough for it. I would say nothing is impossible. As cliche as that sounds, you know, I I remember that every day. That there's still a lot more that I want to do. There's still a lot more that I dreamed about that I hope that I'm on my way to. But um, but I feel if you know if if this is as far as I ever got, I feel pretty good. You know having been that kid with those dreams i feel like like it worked out
1: and isn't that awesome i i I mean again i just i'm so like it's awesome to hear you saying that you can reflect on it and be appreciative because they i don't know is it is it just is that rare in the united states or rare just even (laughs) around the world for people to stop and take i don't know take a look around and see what they have and be appreciative like that's that's a beautiful step
2: I do think that a lot of times, no matter what it is that you want to do, I do feel like a lot of times people forget to be appreciative, no matter successful, not successful, you know, happy, sad, you know, you can you can look around and you can see that there is, there are good things around you. You know, when, uh-huh. when I was struggling and not making much money in this business and I had moved so far away from my friends and my family and everybody that I knew to, to try something new and to, be struggling through, you know, through that and learning how to, to be better at what I'm doing, you know, I could still look around and appreciate that this was going to lead somewhere. And if I just hung in there, that I that I could get where I wanted to go. Right. And, you know, and even now, you know, doing doing what I love to do, I still, even in the little things, like I just, I love coming home. I love, you know, seeing my dog and my husband mm-hmm. and, you know, walking into the place that I always dreamed of working and, you know, seeing the people around me that I always watched on TV and stuff like every single thing I do it's riding in an elevator with Al Roker one day you know I just (laughs) I just I have I I constantly stop and just say wow this is amazing (laughs) it's pretty cool
1: yeah I love that too the only famous person I've ever been in an elevator with is Al Gore. So, going on yes, there is, there is, yeah. Well, and and it was also one of those like if I don't talk to him right now, I'm going to kick myself for the rest of my Now's life. Your so said, yep. And he's tall. I mean, you know me; I'm four foot ten, but that guy's a giant.
2: What'd you uh, say to him?
1: I think I. <laughs> Because <laughs> so I live in San Francisco for the audience that doesn't know, and I think because he had moved here and he he started up a business, Current TV, I think is the name of it. I don't know if yep. it's still even around, but um, his company was running out of the same building I worked in, so we knew he was around. Like that wasn't totally out of out of the ordinary, but to be what? the only person in the elevator with him, I think I just said, "Hey, how do you like San Francisco?" I should have asked or said, "Thank you for starting the internet," but I didn't. Um, <laughs> 'cause I yeah, but he I and he was gracious and he was kind, um so it was cool, yeah. did you talk to Al Roker when you were in the elevator?
2: <laughs> I did, but I talked to him all the time, so.
1: Oh. <laughs> 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 so you made mention that you you also obviously you travel a lot, you lead a really busy life, both you and your husband Anthony do. I would think that since you guys are so busy, you also have some good strategies around being organized. And you know, making plans around entertaining and like thinking around that that you'd like to share. How you guys have two busy lives but manage to spend time together?
2: <laughs> yeah, how do we make it seem so easy?
1: <laughs> yeah, how does it? it looks glamorous. Um, <laughs> yeah, I
2: know that's my Facebook life. It's totally different than the real one. <laughs> that's what I always say. That's Facebook, Josh. Um, yeah, I mean, my gosh, we struggle, and it can change at the drop of a hat. I mean, my husband's in daytime television. He's a senior producer for The Chew on ABC, the daytime cooking show. And so he, based in New York, and doesn't travel as much, but I certainly do travel. It's, you know, it's it's a lot of texting. I would love it if there were more phone calls, but texting is, is the way we all do everything now, you know, it's checking in, even if it's just for a quick "Hi, how are you? What are you working on? What time are you getting home?" It's the same questions we all ask our spouses, I suppose. <laughs> but it just means that you know I'm doing it from L.A. instead of you know home on the Upper West Side or something. It's, it's. I think it's the desire to want to to communicate and to stay in contact, and just doing a good job at checking in is really mm-hmm. the the only way that this type of thing works when you are both so hectic with your careers, no matter what you do, we, we make an effort to check in with each other and to just stay in the loop. That's the biggest yeah. part of it, I would say for us.
1: I totally get that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Sean and I, you know, we keep a family calendar since things got really crazy in the last year. We started having, you'll love this. Other people may cringe, but like, I was like, let's check in on Sunday night. So basically I had like a Sunday night meeting <laughs> <laughs> weekly, but otherwise it was like, I don't you know, we have a kid or yeah. you know, settled around and all that. So um it actually then became very natural and we would just have the conversation. But I think it's being mindful about like realizing you need to get in the, the habit of checking in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then making the most of the time when you are to be you know, I, I travel a couple of nights a week and consistently and then every once in a while there's a you know, a long you know, week or so, week and a half that um, comes about, but I have to be out of town. But we you do your best, to, regardless of the time zone, to to call or to to send a little message that you're thinking of each other. And then when you are together, you just make the most of that time. I think it's for for us. It's it's never been about the quantity. We did long distance for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been about the quantity. It's always about the quality. You know, we we yeah. try our best to make the most of it. Not to be on our when we are together to not be on our phones the entire time, you know, that's always a struggle, but we do our best.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's so much joy in that that it's about the quality that but- you guys are both on the same page there. Um, yeah,
2: and being present for it, you know, like that's, I guess, part of the phone thing or something. It's just like when we are together, really trying to be present in that moment of whatever we're doing. And we're definitely not, we live in New York, but we're not the type going out to all the new hot restaurants and the, you know, dancing it up on a Friday night or something. We're usually in bed by, you know, 930 or so, <laughs> <even> <laughs> the weekends. But, um, you know, it's like you find fun activities to do, you know, whether it's inviting friends over or whatever, we you know, we have a great time. Yes, yes.
1: And what are some of your, um, I don't know, what are some of your favorite places to either go for fun or any tips on the Manhattan scene for us?
2: <laughs> I wish. My God, I'd go so out of the neighborhood. I yeah. If you want something good in the neighborhood, I've got plenty of tips for you. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, my favorite place, honestly, is at home. Anthony, like I said, works for a food show and is quite the chef himself. So my favorite thing to do is to have people over and to have a small get together. And he cooks and I make the drinks and um we have a great conversation and put the music, you know, on playing through the TV, on the Apple TV and stuff. And just, I you know, enjoy the evening. That's my favorite. That's my favorite hot spot in New York.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also like, yeah, we are so similar because, uh, someone's a chef too, so Yes, you know. Yeah. Yes. It is fun. And it does it makes it easier almost that you don't have to worry about the wear. Like if it can just be at home, it's kind of magical in its own way.
2: Absolutely. It's so fun to go out and we we try to do that, you know, to mix things up. That. That's usually a Saturday night, if you will, but um but there's nothing better than a Friday night at home for me.
1: Do you want to tell us a little bit about your sweet dog, Jolene? <laughs> she seems like a joyful like,
2: creature. <laughs> she's got lots of joy. I want to come back as her in my next life. Yeah, well, she's an adorable four year old French bulldog. Um, mm-hmm. And she is the joy of our lives, that's for sure. <laughs> and also yeah. the agonies I've done. No, she's great. She's a sweetheart. And she, you know, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't consider myself to have been a dog person before. Um, we got her four years ago. It really has been like a bonding experience. Children aren't for us, but um, but we, <laughs> so we consider Jolene to be our old our, our little kid. But mm-hmm. um, but she's she's so great, and it's it's really been a fun like growing process for us. It's been a learning curve for me because Anthony was more the dog person. Um, so all the tasks, like, the lovely tasks that go along with taking care of someone else like that, were mm-hmm. were new to me. But um, but it's been fun, a bonding experience to say the least. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll take a picture of her from you. Yeah, it's she, a post on this. You gotta go see Jillian. Yeah. She is, she's adorable. What's next? What else? What's on your, you know, your your big list to do? What else do you oh, want to? Oh gosh, call?
2: I wish there was something so exciting I could do. Yeah, and now, but I, you know, I just the, the great thing about this, this journey going back to that is that I never saw each step coming. I just always said yes to everything. I always raised my hand for everything. And that's what's kept it interesting and exciting and brought me to this place um, mm-hmm. where I can say that I'm super happy. So I had no plans to change my immediate situation. I, I'm in love with everything I'm doing and everything that, that I have at home. Um, mm-hmm. But I just, you know, I keep saying yes, and that means new exciting opportunities within the, the people that I work with now and stuff. Like, it's just, it can always be an exciting time. So I don't have anything specific, but, you know, I'm just going to keep plugging away and just keep working hard and just keep appreciating everything. And I think good things come to you when you do that.
1: I think so, too. And I think there's something lovely about the saying yes yeah, to the opportunities as they present themselves in your in your current, like, reality. Like, I think that's so nice.
2: Yeah, Um, being ready for them when they, you know, when they do come, it's, if you're, if you're ready, and you're just willing to try it, even when it's scary, it's crazy how things end up working out. Totally
1: agree. Yes. And life is a a gorgeous journey. Well, anything else you'd like to share before we jump into the last two questions?
2: No, I'm ready. Bring them on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If someone listening has a big dream about how they could make a change in the world, what advice would you give them about bringing their dream into action?
2: Yeah, I mean, I say just say, you know, work hard, raise your hand all the time, say yes to anybody who comes to you with a great opportunity, even when it is frightening, even when you're so nervous that you can't sleep at night thinking about it. You know, if it feels right, I've always been good about trusting my gut. And all of that is great if you've set some goals for yourself and then you're working to achieve them. And I think that that's no matter what it is that you want to do, no matter how big, no matter how small, um, whether it's working out or something or just, you know, (laughs) just. I, I do. I try to use the same practice for that that I, you know, that I do in my career and stuff, or just working to like, you know, keep my family happy and stuff. You know, it's, I set I set goals for things all the time. I say yes to things. I try to stay motivated, and that's the to me that's the way to get to anything.
1: I love it. And then last, uh, what are three ways you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives?
2: I would say to, to have some passion for what you're doing, to enjoy the journey, and to appreciate the journey and the things that come of it. I think if you do those three things, and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a hundred more, I think, of five minutes after we hang up. But I think those three, <laughs> yeah. Be passionate, enjoy the ride, and, and just be appreciative. Those are That can change. Like, for me, that can change your perspective on anything
1: yeah i agree i could turn a whole day around or a whole anything around really yeah i love it um well thank you so much for joining
0: us this has been really a real treat and and thank you josh so much for spending time with me today it was just such a joy to talk to you and i'm so inspired about all the awesome things you have going on and how you keep perspective on the life that you live thank you all so much for being the most amazing audience and for coming back week after week and listening. It really means the world to me. If you're inspired by the stories of the people that I've talked to and you think you might like to work with a life coach, if you would like to find things that light you up and bring you more joy, I would be so honored to be on that journey with you. Go over to the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com and look under the tab labeled Coaching, you'll find a form there, and I would love to be in touch. Next week on the podcast, we have an interview with David Ramos. He is a Christian author, passionate about communicating the life-changing truths found in the Old Testament. And if you know me, you know that I am a huge fan, and I'm not kidding, of the Old Testament. He's the author of five books, including Climbing with Abraham, Escaping with Jacob, The God with a Plan, and 25. So I hope you'll come back and take a listen. He's also been kind enough to offer up a giveaway, which is the first one we've done on Jumpstart Your Joy. So I promise it'll be a lot of fun um, and we will likely nerd out big time about the Old Testament. So (laughs) come on back. And until next week, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.